let's pray together. And I want to invite you to pray with me. Lord, uh, as we open up your word today, I pray that you'd make this story come alive. That we'd not just see the story of your redemption or the story of Abraham, but we'd, we'd see ourselves in the story of your call to us as a people that might belong to you. And ultimately, I pray that we'd see you. We'd see your faithful redemption, the promises that you've made being worked out through history. And I pray that the ways that we look at Abraham over the next couple of weeks and his offspring, that we would see this promise that you've given unfold to everyone in this room that's a true son or daughter of Abraham. I pray that you'd show us these things by your word today. It's in the name of Jesus I pray this. Amen. Uh, if you grew up in or around any church, especially in the South, you heard an annoying little song called Father Abraham Had Many Sons. And many sons had Father Abraham, and I'm one of them, and so are you. So let's just praise the Lord. In other words, it doesn't matter kind of the lineage. Let's just praise God. Let's just get to the, the bare bones, okay? And that song kind of alludes to this truth that, that all three of the major monotheistic religions, Judaism, Islam, Christianity, find their origin in this story. And it's of great importance that we not only know this story, but we have some kind of grasp on understanding this story. Yeah, me too, right? <laughs> Amen. All right. So, so. Uh, it's a really important story for us to put our, our hands around, our heads around, and hopefully our hearts around. Keller, Tim Keller says that you cannot understand world civilization without understanding the story of Abraham. Abram just means dad, and we're going to call him Abraham throughout because eventually his name gets changed, which means like a really great dad, Okay. There's a few reasons why this is a big deal. I've already mentioned it's where we see kind of monotheism having its beginning, the idea of one God Almighty. Unlike all the polytheistic family that he most likely was raised in, Abraham believed in a God Most High, and he worshiped God Most High exclusively. So a lot of times he's considered the beginning of monotheism. This story, as I've already mentioned, is important for the major religions of the world. We see him as the father of our faith or the beginning story. If you want to begin uh, understanding your own story, you kind of look at your origins, look at your family. And if you want to understand the origin of your faith, we have to look at this man. It begins drawing a map for how we would navigate God, how God is exclusively God, how God is personal, not distant, that he's actively involved in working about his blessings through his children. This is where we find the origin of faith, the foundation of salvation, righteousness. He's been called the father of faith. All of these things would make the story of Abraham great. But ultimately, the reason that we would see this story as of, of great importance is because it reveals to us what God is like in history. It's not just the story of a man, but it's a story of God working through a specific man. And so today, and I think that we're going to see this throughout the, the narrative we're going to see this one point. It's going to be on the screen. God's redemption is revealed through the call and promise to Abraham. Ultimately, it's not a story about Abraham. It's a story about the God of the universe who made everything beginning to show off his redemptive plans to and through an individual named Abram. Everything before this verse is leading to this moment, and everything after this verse is an unveiling of how this moment means something to us. 
So we pull up our attention to this narrative, and today I want to continue asking the Lord to speak to us. I have three points that we're going to kind of outline the text. First, the call of Abraham. What is God saying as he calls Abraham? What's the context, his characteristics? What does it mean for him? And then second, what is this promise of God to Abraham? And then we're going to look finally at the response of Abraham to God. I've got a lot of sermon to get to through, okay? So hopefully the microphone is working. I'm going to talk exceptionally fast, which is my custom. And we'll start with verse 1. It says this in verse 1. We're going to read it again. Now the Lord said to Abraham, go from, your father's, go from your country, your kindred, and your father's house to the land that I will show you. Let's look at first the context of God's call to Abraham. He's calling him personally, speaking him, but he's speaking to a specific man who lived in a specific place. He's living in Ur of the Chaldeans. Now we find out later in Acts, Stephen is preaching this sermon about this moment. He says, God called Abraham before he'd even set out. So we pick up the story, if you read the end of chapter 11, where he and his dad and his, and, and, uh, his wife and his nephew have kind of set out. But this beginning in Genesis 12 starts before that. While they're still in Ur of the Chaldeans, this is a place that was known for moon worship. And you have to assume that he was part of this. Why? Why do we assume that that Abram is a pagan? Well, number one, they live in a place where the moon was worshipped, and his dad's name means moon, okay? He's part of a family uh, that's been blessed by the lineage that's being blessed. Okay, so, so what this means is from the beginning of creation, God is narrowing in his focus on a specific lineage. You see the majesty of creation, then he... Uh, tells us that Adam is blessed, and then from Adam to Noah, then Noah to Shem, Shem, you have this man all from the lineage that's leading up to Abraham, and it seems like if you're going to be part of this family, things are going to be okay for you, but that doesn't necessarily mean that he wasn't part of the pagan worship. His dad's name, like I already said, he means moon. He has two brothers, Nahor and Haran, one of which has already died. And Nahor and Haran's son, Lot, is the one that walks along with him through this story. So God's word is coming specifically to a person, a person who belongs in a context that's uh, consumed with pagan worship of the moon. And there's another important detail that we find out in the chapter before this. He's married to a woman named Sarah, who's going to be named Sarah later, and she's barren. It's going to say this in 1130. It's going to be on the screen. Sarah was barren, and she had no child. Double emphasis here. So he's in a context of Ur, context of paganism. He has a wife who hasn't given birth. And in this context, the word of the Lord comes specifically to Abram. God steps into history in the context of a conversation with an individual, and it's God's initiative that we see. So that's his context. I want to then point out a few things about the character of God and how he comes to him. First, he comes to him as an individual. It wasn't just that Abram was part of this descendant line of Noah and Shem and Terah. His call was individually to go out from this place. To come out from his fathers, from his land, his household, his family. It's personal for him. It's God who initiates this call. So Abram isn't like looking around going, I wonder what God wants me to do with my life. God comes to him and initiates this. And I want to point out too that it's, ne- it's necessary that God would do this. There's no way at all, unless God would come and have engaged with Abraham, that we would have had the story that unfolds after this. 
because of where he lives, because of what he's surrounded by, because of the family that he's born into, he's not just assumed to somehow have a relationship with God, of the God of the universe. God comes to him in this context. He initiates this relationship with him. And I just want to point out that God is no respecter of family or background, whether you were born to the right family or the wrong family or however you define where you came from. Everyone's call to salvation has to be initiated by God, not based on whatever evidence you could prove that you were somehow deserving of it. Even if you were born in the most amazing family, the call of God has to eventually come specifically to you and call you away from everything that might become an ideal for you in order to follow him. It wasn't because of something he had done. And Calvin says it this way, the calling of Abraham, why is that significant? The calling of Abraham is a signal instance of the gratuitous mercy of God. Had Abram been before him with God by any merit of works? In other words, did he have anything that would have made him merit this call? No. Had Abram come to him or conciliated his favor? Nay. We must recall to mind that he was plunged in the filth of idolatry and now God freely stretches forth his hand to bring back the wanderer. In other words, God wasn't, Abraham wasn't some special exception to the rule. He was a pagan like the rest. So why did God choose him? Why would God put his favor on this person and say, I want you to do this thing and accomplish these things for my purposes in the world? Why? You may be wondering the same question. Anybody ever wondered, why would God have anything to do with me? With my history, with my potential, there's no reason at all. And he goes on in the same passage, Calvin. Sorry, it's long. But this is done. This call to Abram is done designedly in order that the manifestation of the grace of God might become the more conspicuous in this person. In other words, he does this not based on some merit, but so that God's grace would look beautiful displayed through the outpouring of this individual. For he's an example of the vocation of us all. For in him we perceive that by the mere mercy of God, those things which are not raised from nothing in order... Uh, in order that they may begin to be something. In other words, he had no potential. God stepped in and rescued him and said, I want you to accomplish these things for my purposes in the world. It's really important that we understand the context and the character of God displayed in this call to Abraham. The third thing I want us to look at in this call is what, it, uh, what he commands to him. The call of God begins with a command and a purpose. Look at verse 1 again. Now the Lord said to Abraham, go from your father's country, go from your country, your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. Some of your uh, versions of the Bible may just say, I want you to leave or the word leave. He's giving him this command before he's even promised the blessing. He starts with this, I want you to leave these things behind. And most people, uh, probably you would be open to taking a trip with God or maybe like a visit with God. He's saying, no, I want you to leave everything that you know behind you uh, in order to pursue this new thing, this quest that's do or die. Most simple understanding is that, that Abraham's called to leave and to go. If you've been called by God, this is going to be true of your own story. You're going to have a very specific thing in your past that you absolutely know, that you're familiar with. And he's saying, I want you to leave this behind you in order that you can see this ambiguous place that I'm going to take you. 
He names very specific things here. Three things he says. First, from your country. And all three of these areas are, are things of identity, of influence, of comfort, something he'd be familiar with. It's not like launching from your parents' household today, like every parent in the room has a, a timeline where they're like, I want you to launch from this place. Not so in, that, in this time period. This would have added to the father's wealth to have all of his people and kindred around him. He says, I want you to leave from your country. This would have, or your nation, your place, the place that you're most comfortable with, the place that you're most familiar with. And you gotta imagine that Abram has not taken some trip to explore some other place. He hasn't vacated in some other place where he knows that the water's good or he knows that the sun always shines or the food is really good there. He's saying, I want you to go from the place that you're absolutely familiar with, your nation, your kindred, that means your people, all the people that you're connected to, all your connections, all the community that you've had before, I want you to leave that place behind you. And then ultimately your father's house, your family, the place of provision and protection, the place that he would have been raised up like a greenhouse. There's a few applications I want to take from this for anyone that, that would like to know what it means to follow Christ. There's some degree of clues in the story of Abraham. It's always a call to leave the known for the unknown. It's moving out of the place that you're familiar with for the things that you're unfamiliar with. Jesus would remind his followers that we should count the cost. And in this, God in this call lays out the things that he's going to leave behind. Jesus in Luke chapter 14 says, whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, desiring to build a tower, does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he's laid the foundation, is not able to finish, all who see it will begin to mock him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. We would do well to consider what Abram is leaving behind. It's included in the call. God says it. You're going to leave these three things behind. Meditate on the inconveniences of Abram as he set out from this place. Why should we meditate on that? Well, Jesus said, so that we won't get to where we're going and realize we aren't ready to endure. Now, the good news is, whatever God calls you to, he gives you the grace to sustain whatever he's called you into. But it doesn't mean that we shouldn't consider the cost. Calvin says it this way, why should we consider? So that we would not just have a hasty zeal that produces some fading flower, but that a deep and well-fixed root of piety we may bring, up, bring forth the fruit of our whole life. That we would count the cost of a very specific departure. We always know what we leave behind us much more clearly than what God has promised in front of us. There's a very specific departure for Abram and a very vague description of where he's going. Where am I going, God? A land. What does it look like? I'll show you. It's some other place. And in this first call and command, there's a little bit of a promise. He says, I'm going to be with you. Like, I'm going to be there to show you. And I'm going to reveal what it's going to be like. You'll know it when you see it. Now, every call for every person in this room, even unto salvation, it's much clearer what you're leaving behind for the un than the unknown of what's ahead. And this is the essence of faith. 
This is the lesson of Abraham first. The first lesson is that when he calls us out, just like Abraham, he knows what he's leaving and he does not yet know where he's going to, where he's going to land. In Hebrews 11.8, it says this way, By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out, of, out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. What's it like to follow Jesus? You may be coming into this room and asking, you don't know where you're going. You have a plan. He has a different plan. He has some other thing arranged for you that you couldn't have planned out for yourself. It's an unknown, unvisited, unscouted before territory that he's promised to us in the future. But here's what he's saying. I'm going to show you. I'm going to be with you. I'll let you know. My word for you will be sufficient. It's not a visit. It's not a vacation with God. It's a lifelong quest where you leave everything behind you and you answer the call to go. And with this call and commands to leave and go, can you imagine what uh, Sarai must have been feeling? So we're just packing up. We're just like, we're just putting the stuff in the caravan. We're just going. Anytime if I tell my kids to leave something behind them, they're like, what, what are we doing? What is it we're doing? Where are we going? I've got a surprise for you. If you promise your kids a surprise, they're going to want to know some kind of clue. What's it going to be like? I promise it's going to be good. And for every call of God, there's at least enough promise to sustain our hope into the future. Faith can't stand unless it's founded on the promises of God. Therefore, we've got to be familiar with what was promised right after this this. Equally familiar with the promises of Christ as we are with the commands of Christ. Some people are only familiar with the promises and we leave the commands of, of what God has called us to behind. Some people are only concerning themselves with the commands and that's why they feel hopeless. These promises that he's about to unveil, I'm sure they're part of what filled the sails of obedience as he stepped out and went forward. God promised blessing. Let's look at it, starting in verse 2. Now, I don't want to skip ahead. He's already alluded to the fact that he's going to be there and he's going to show him things. That's promise right there. Then he says in verse 2, I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I'll bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. A few things that we already know about what God has said in verse 1. He's going to give him a place. He's leaving a place, but he's going to show him a land where he's going to dwell. Land is really important. It's going to continue to be important throughout this promise being revealed through the Old Testament and into the New. God's story always unfolds, not just in the minds and hearts. It unfolds in specific places and time. So the land is part of the promise, and he's going to show it to you, okay? That means that he's going to be there, so he's promised that he's going to be present with him as he goes forward. And he hints at this blessing that he's going to continue to speak and confirm the things. When he sees it, he's going to show it to him. So the first three promises that he's going to have a place, God's presence will be with him, and he's going to give him enough assurance with his words that he's going to know where he's at when he gets there. Then he gives him these three personal, uh, three personal promises, and I want to go through each one and just kind of 
quickly go over them with the question that must uh, quickly follow. First one is, I'm going to make you a great nation. Now, I can imagine for a guy who's 75 years old and has a wife for however many years of that time and no kids, he's got to be wondering, how's this going to happen? How are you going to make me a great nation when I have no babies, no kids? Second thing, I'm going to bless you. In other words, your future happiness is bound up with your obedience to this call. God's promise to him, how's it going to happen? How's he going to bless him? There's a place, a people that he's known as a source of security that he's leaving behind. Third thing he says is, I'm going to make your name great. How's this going to happen? He's going to a place that no one knows who he is. And then the fourth blessing begins to transition to a sense of purpose. He says this, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to do all these things. Why? So that you will be a blessing. Listen, the things that God does for you, the things that God does through you, typically have an end end result that doesn't end with you. So that through you, God's beauty and mercy would be displayed. In other words, Abraham, I'm going to do these great things for you, but it's going to be for the benefit of others that I do this thing. And then the next three promises have to do with how it's going to benefit others. It's going to affect other people. First thing, I'm going to bless those that bless you. So it doesn't just have to do with him. It has to do with the people around you. Everyone around you is going to also experience this promise of provision and protection. Those that will partner with him are going to, God's going to extend his happiness and goodness to them as well. This is common for any covenant. and not only has to do with the people that are for you. It's like, hey, we're going to share the same friends, but we're also going to share the same enemies. God's making a covenant with Abraham where he says, look, next thing, anybody who dishonors you, I'm also going to curse them. It's not just a promise of provision for him. It's a promise of protection. And and if you keep reading the story of Abram, he really struggles with this part of the promise. He's scared for his wife. By the end of this chapter, he's saying, hey, why don't you act like you're my sister? She was his half-sister. So they won't take you and kill me. Also, Sarah, very beautiful. I left that part out. Very beautiful woman. Last blessing in this passage, no, this is the seventh blessing that he names, in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. In other words, I'm doing these things not just for you, but so that every family on earth would be able to experience the blessing of my goodness. That you're going to be not only an example of how to be happy, you're going to be blessed. And other people will be able to look at you, Abram, and you're going to see that following after God is a way to be, this is the real way to be happy. This is how God's designed and ordained for people to function in the world. He's calling someone that would walk with him. So he didn't just serve as an example. He serves as a means of God's provision to the world. In Galatians chapter 3, it says it this way, the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel before him to Abraham saying, and you shall all the nations be blessed. In other words, this moment where God is calling Abraham and promising him these things, he's preaching the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ to Abraham in this moment. 
That's what the New Testament says. So in this moment, Abraham is believing and receiving the gospel that ultimately Jesus is the conclusion of the gospel that's been preached to Abraham. He received the gospel in this moment. So he's an example to those who would follow by faith. He's also the source that Jesus would come through, that God would use him as the means through which Christ would come. Now, I don't know if you remember this, but like three weeks ago, we were going through the genealogy of Jesus. Anybody remember how that begins? Jesus, the son of Abraham. That's why it's so important that people would have been anticipating this blessing to the whole earth, that every family of the earth would be blessed through him. Some descendant of Abraham eventually would come and make all things right. That's the true blessing. It goes on to say in Galatians 3, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles. That's every person in this room that's not a Jew. We got at least one Jew. For it is written, cursed is everyone who's hanged on the tree, so that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. The promise that was given to Abraham is received through Christ for every person in this room. It's a promise to you that was given to Abraham ultimately through him, that we would be able to receive Christ and then walk forward in the Spirit with true blessing over our lives. Next week, we're going to look at Genesis 15 and parts of 17 where God confirms this promise again, this covenant. So God gives this promise to Abraham. He gives a command and a call, and then he says, this is what it's going to be like for you. How would you respond in this moment? I need a little more evidence of what that's going to look like. I mean, the blessing, the greatness, the kids, the nation, it all still feels very vague, okay? You got to remember, Abram is 75 years old. He has a wife who hasn't had a kid, and he's got to be wondering in this moment, okay, I don't know how this is going to work. So how does he respond? Look at, look at uh, verse 4. So Abram went, as the Lord had told him. Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions and they had gathered, and the people that they had acquired in Haran. And they set out to go to the land of Canaan. And when they came to the land of Canaan, I guess the trip was like just like that. It just passed really quick. Let me tell you something about this response of faith. True faith moves on the word of God. True faith hears the word of God and responds to it in obedience. It banks everything on the word of God. So Abram went, he set out. Now, if you're thinking this is like a short trip, you know, just like over the hill country or something, he's 75 years old with his wife, his possessions, his people and his nephew, his orphan nephew. And they set out with all of that. One commentary I read this week said it was about 400 miles, okay? They didn't have gas powered engines back then. So this is a long trip. So if I just told you, tomorrow we're going to head out to Nashville, Tennessee, or Atlanta, Georgia, or Dallas, Texas. Some of you may have driven there by a car. That's about 400 miles, okay? On foot with all your possessions in a caravan, camping along the way. Now, the narrator expects that we would understand that this is a substantial journey that they've taken. 
And this is what faith looks like, that when we hear this call, this command, and these promises, we set out. Not like we're going on vacation, like we're packing up the house. He walks out in faith. And then I want to look at his response, not just of faith, but faithfulness. It brings about worship even before the promise is in possession. Verse 6, he gets to the oak of Morah. And this most likely would have been a place where the Canaanites that are inhabiting the land would have worshipped their gods. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your offspring, I will give this land. In other words, God kept his promise and said, this is it, Abram. You made it. You're in the place. And so his response in this moment, he builds an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. So God does just as he's promised. He takes him to a land. He shows him. He's giving him the word. And Abraham's response is to set up an altar. which is basically saying, I want to remember this. God spoke to me here. It's a place of sacrifice and remembrance so that when he comes back to this place, he's going to remember what God had told him. He goes on from there. He does it again. From there, he moves to the hill country. It's on the east of Bethel. And he pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed on, still going towards the Negev. In other words, he's setting up these places of sacrifice and consecration and worship to God in the midst of a land that had been promised to him. But uh uh-oh, it's occupied by other people. He's clearly reclaiming the land just as Noah had cleansed and dedicated the earth to the, to the Lord. He's setting up an altar saying, hey, this already belongs to the Lord. I love what Wendell Berry says about spaces. Uh, Wendell Berry is one of my favorite authors. He says, there's no unsacred spaces. There's only sacred places and con- desecrated places. And in this moment, when he steps in, he's setting up an altar to say, this has been consecrated to the Lord. He's spoken to me about this place. And he goes and builds another altar. And they all lived happily ever after. I'm just kidding. You know what's really devastating? It's so hard that when you obey and you get to the place you think you're supposed to be, And it's not empty. There's people there. It's not yet what it will be. Did they all live happily ever after? No. The land is occupied. By whom? Canaanites. These are the people that are descendants of the guy who saw Noah naked and he cursed them. Okay? It's occupied by the grandkids of Noah that he had cursed. And in this moment, they're all around. By faith. He's not like suddenly conquering this land. He sees it. He sets up an altar and he says, this place is a place where I'm going to worship the Lord. Not only is it occupied, from that point, you would think like build a house, right? Get settled. Three more times, even in this chapter, Abram passed through it. From there he moved on. Abram journeyed on, still going. Can you imagine him and all of his crew never settled? They're just like, I guess we're going to settle here for a little while. Nope, let's go over here for a little while. He's moving here and there inside this land that God had promised to him. And by faith, everywhere he would move, I'm sure he was just thinking, this is eventually going to belong to my descendants. There's no evidence of it 
He believed it. Right after the passage that we read, this is the land good? Yes, he's able to see that it's good, but it's not without sin. It's not without other people, pagans. It's like he left the pagans behind. Guess what? They're here too. And then in verse 10, it says, there's a famine in the land. So Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there for the famine was severe in the land. You think it's going to be great, right? Like setting out, obeying God, following him. And suddenly there's no food here. Guess we're going to have to move somewhere else. Following Christ and responding in faith, hearing his call, responding in faith, it always looks more complicated than you could possibly anticipate, okay? You think, gosh, God has provided this good thing for me. It's always more complicated. And so my prayer, how, do, how do we do this? How, what could we learn from this passage that might help us continue to walk by faith in the present moment? I have a few prayers for us all under this heading. This is my hope for us as a congregation that we'd walk with faith in God's redemption. The first prayer would be that we hear and rejoice in this gospel that was preached to Abraham. That we'd hear it. Galatians says it this way, the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel before him to Abraham saying, in you shall all the nations be blessed. The first thing I would hope for us is that we'd look at this story and see that that blessing that Abraham was promised extended to us. To every person, God's plan was for us to be happy in Him. Doesn't mean it won't be complex. But we would hear this gospel and rejoice because not, it was initiated here, was brought about through Jesus Christ, His death, His life, His resurrection. And for everyone who responds in faith to Him, we can rejoice my second prayer is that we would gain this promise and that we wouldn't just rejoice in hearing it, but we'd gain the promise of Abraham, ultimately Christ Jesus. What does it look like to gain this promise, to receive this inheritance that was given to him? Jesus described it like this. Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. The call is clear here, right? Deny, take up your cross, follow, lose everything you know about life, leave it behind you for the sake of knowing something greater. And then the promise is clear too. You can save your life by giving it up. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Walking by faith... It's not just something we hear about cognitively and rejoice in. The promises of God are always revealed in time and place, in families. In whatever context you're in today, the call is clear to give up whatever it is that you might cling to and receive what you could not attain for yourself. Whoever would save his life. Anybody here want to save your life? I'm pretty interested in that. Here's how. Christ says, come follow me. Lose your life so that you could find it.
And I want you to know, whatever you leave behind, it's much clearer than what lies ahead of you. It's always more clear. In this moment, too, I want to point out, it's kind of tempting to think that God is like on Team Abraham. Like he's got a foam finger in heaven saying, Abraham, I don't know who you're rooting for tomorrow night in the national championship. The story is not like, oh God, just, he really likes Abraham for some reason. The story is that God chooses Abraham to reveal what he's like to everyone else. He, he's, he gives Abraham this opportunity to be a demonstration of God's mercy to the world. Abraham didn't get God on his team. God took Abraham into his team. said, I want you to demonstrate and be a blessing to the world around you. My third prayer of walking by faith is not just that we'd rejoice in here, that we would receive this gift of promise, but we'd also receive the purpose that God gave Abraham. The gospel blessing, every person who God extends this to is not so that it would end on yourself. The gospel blessing comes, this promise comes with great purpose. The most useful that you could possibly be to the world, it might be the most uncomfortable for you. But God's intention for everyone he calls is that they would be a blessing ultimately to the nations. That God would use you in your family, in your context, not just to be blessed, but so that you might be a blessing. The promise that came to Abraham was so that he could bless others. And that's the same way it comes to all of us. The invitation is, here, come follow me. Get out of your comfort and I will not just call you and make you my own, but I'll make you useful to other people, to the world around you. I'll bless you and I will make you a blessing. God's intention for each person who would come after him is to make you a blessing, not just to bless you. So my prayer today is that we'd walk with faith in that kind of covenant God who keeps his promises, who calls us out, he commands us, but he also gives us this hope that one day he's going to make all things new and the land that feels maybe a little more uncomfortable, unknown than whatever we've left behind, one day he's going to make it all new. Let's walk in faith toward that, rejoicing in the gospel promise, receiving this gospel promise, and also walking in the purpose that he would call us to. Let's pray to that end. Lord, thank you for your word today. I pray that it would speak not just beyond the limitations of my words, but that you would call and help us to respond with obedience and faith. Pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.